Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Well, I'm very excited about the message that the Lord has put on my heart. And uh, I know it's a word from the Lord for today. The young people that were in the youth camp four years ago, you've heard me preach on this text before. I've only preached from this text twice in Alaska, once in 2007 and four years ago in the youth camp. And when I preached on a text somewhere, I don't like to come and preach the same thing. But sometimes the Lord likes to say the same thing over and over again. And so um, I, I had the sense, especially when I saw the theme from Acts chapter 2, verse 39, that the promise is for you and your children and those who are far off and all whom the Lord our God will call. When I saw that, I, this started stirring in me. And uh, I, play, I tossed it around in my head and, and in my spirit and prayed about it the last few weeks. And I, I know that this is for somebody here today, and I believe it's for all of us. And if you were in the 8 o'clock service in Wasilla, then you're going to get a second dose of the same text. But it always comes out different in Palmer or wherever else I preach it. It will not be the exact same message, that I can assure you, but it is the same text. And so I'm very, very excited this morning. And, uh, and boy, I got a, a, an extra, like a cherry on top. My mother, who's going on 90 in a couple of years, she, she texted me after Wasilla. I mean, she tracks us like a bloodhound all over the globe. She gets mad at churches that don't have live stream. Like, she'll just say, what is wrong with those people? They need to get their act together. I mean, she's with it. And so uh, she was tuned in, churchak.org. She was ready at her computer, 12 o'clock East Coast time. And I got a text on the way over here to Palmer. She said, I've been a Christian for 70 years, and I have never heard anyone preach from this passage of Scripture, and it was awesome. So, I mean, when your mom, who's going on 90, says to her 60-year-old son, it was awesome, I feel pretty good. (laughs) because she'll also let me know when I miss it. So, you know, I take whatever compliments I can get. But it's the story of Jephthah, kind of an obscure guy in the Scripture. And the reason I only preached on it in the first place in 2007 was because Pastor David was doing a series from the book of Judges, and he says, we're giving you Jephthah. And because he knew it was a tough one, and uh, he just always gave me the curveballs, and said that everybody else refuses to preach on it, but you don't have a choice. So I was mad at him, but then the Spirit of God unfolded to me something so beautiful. And over the years, uh, I've just seen more and more, and it's become one of my favorite stories in Scripture. But it's particularly a favorite because I have an evangelist heart. I love to see uh, God reach out and touch people that are far off or that seem to feel like there's there's no room in the kingdom for them or they've just totally missed their opportunity. And I know that's not the heart of God at all. God's heart is to reach those who the world says can't be reached, or whom the church has given up on, or whom have given up on themselves. And that would be a Jephthah in Judges 
chapter 11. And so I preached on Friday night about the promises for you, but this message is taking the rest of the the verse, which is the promise for you and your children and those who are far off, because uh, Jephthah was somebody's son, and he became very far off. And there are some lessons in his life that we need to understand, and that'll help us to reach a far off Jephthah generation. And it might be your own kids, it might be your grandkids, but uh, God has a way for this promise to get to everybody. I got fired up when Feedy was preaching. I thought, just go ahead, because uh, he was preaching a little bit during the worship, and about this is for everybody. And this promise is not for an elite or exclusive group of people. This is for all whom the Lord calls. God is after the hearts of a broken generation, and we are living, you know, it's interesting, Pastor Chris, I I hadn't realized this, but I look back, just in the last four years, or five years, I've preached twice here on a Sunday on the subject of reaching the next generation, once from the book of Samuel, and uh, once uh, from a I can't remember the other one. Oh, I think Elijah and Elisha. But the point is, I mean, God's on this subject. God wants what we have to be passed on. And so we need to understand how he does that. Well, today, I, w- I want to read to you just beginning in verse uh, 1. It says, Now Jephthah the Gile- Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You will have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. And the first point about, point about Jephthah we need to observe is that he was scandalized. He was scandalized because he did not have exactly the DNA that his brothers thought he should have. They were legit. They had, uh, you know, been born uh, into their father's house the right way. Sometimes we get this mindset in the church that there's a there's only one way to come into the father's house, and then when you come into the father's house, then we all look exactly the same. But newsflash: what God is doing today is among a people that don't look anything like you and don't look anything like me, and they're not going to look like Chris and I standing up here. I mean, we're practically twins this morning. Morning. I don't know if you noticed, we got the same black pants, the same old man black shoes. We both have Christmas shirts on. I don't know what's going on. I mean, if he loses his hair and I lose 10 pounds, we're twins. That's it. But they don't look like us. They have been scandalized by a culture that's out of control. And in fact, it's so interesting, the, the, the issues of our day where people are examining deep issues of biology and, and, and looking at science through a totally different lens and, and saying that they can be whatever they want to be. And, and we, it actually comes down to the same kind of issues that Jephthah was dealing with, with brothers that said, you are not from the same DNA we are. You are from a, a different mother. You are, you are wrecked by sin and we're pure bloods. I heard that phrase recently up in Alaska, and it made me kind of mad. There's no time 
on any subject where Christians should be talking about how we're pure bloods and everybody else has been, uh, you know, everybody else is outside the camp. I mean, the whole point, I mean, if there's anything pure in you, it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ, not because of something you did or did not do. The only way you have pure blood is you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And then our objective is to get everybody out there back in with us into the purity of the kingdom of God. Let's not let other issues start defining who's in and who's not. And who's pure and who's not. The only issue that defines purity is the blood of Jesus Christ. But Jephthah had the wrong bloodline. And there's a lot of people out there right now that are scandalized and confused about their bloodline. They're confused about their gender. We just heard, a, we, our hearts were broken. We heard about a young man, a pastor's son that we know, who's ta uh, taking uh, hormone blockers because he's declared himself non-binary. And, you know, the church doesn't know how to react to that. The church just steps back sometimes and gets horrified. And we hear people that are my generation saying, I never thought 20 years ago I'd live to see the things I'm seeing now. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, Jesus must be coming back tomorrow. He's so sick and fed up with this mess. Let me tell you something. We need to get connected to the mind of God because the last thing he's thinking about is that he's fed up. He said, I flooded the world once. I'm never going to do it again. This time I sent my son so that judgment wasn't the final word, but salvation was the final word. Yes, there comes a day when the nations of the world will be judged, but the harvest is coming first. There's a multitude of people who appear to have the wrong DNA, even if it's just in their own mind. And the church considers it a scandal. And they feel that stigma of our horror but it's time to stop being horrified and start being filled with hope. And start having vision for people that don't know who they are. And they don't know what they are. And they don't know whose mother or father they came from. But God looks at them in their confusion and says, You may not know it yet, but I created you in my image. And I decreed that you would have a destiny. And though the world has messed with your mind and spirit and said that you don't belong and that you don't fit and that you're something nobody else is, I, the Creator God, am here to decree over you that I made you and I love you, and you are fearfully and wonderfully and beautifully made, and I'm going to use a people who have my heart and vision to bring you back to the Creator that loves you. Jephthah was scandalized by having a messed up DNA and bloodline, and this sense of scandal scarred him. It scarred him. It, it isolated him. The scripture story tells us that he, I mean, that was it. They threw him out, and he got mad, and he went out raiding, robbing, pillaging, plundering. Back in those days, that probably meant, you know, him and his homies were killing people. They were taking advantage of the weak. He became bitter. He became hard. He was scarred. There's a generation out there that their hearts are hard and closed, Sometimes because the church has not known what to do with them. You often might hear it said that we're living in a post-Christian culture. 
I, I, I don't like to use that word post-Christian because that means Christianity is in the past. No, Christianity is current. But our culture does not embrace it in the way my culture did 40, 50 years ago. When we were kids, everybody pretty much morally tried to look like they were at least reasonably on the same page. These days, it's like, I don't care what your Bible says, I'm going to do what I want to do. And Christian, we ought not to fall apart because people are scarred. We ought to get excited about the power of the promise to take scars away and to heal people's hearts and to transform people's minds and souls. We've got to recognize that there is still an imprint of God on each human being created in His image. And that's the third point. He was scandalized and he was scarred. But the people in their time of need recognized there was some strength in him that they needed. There was a, an Ammonite king who began to make war against the Israelites. And they recognized they didn't have the power. And the, the mightiest warrior they knew was, was Jephthah. So all of a sudden, with hat in hand, they went appealing to Jephthah to come and bail them out. They recognized he had a strength they did not have. And I believe that if we have the eyes of Christ, we've got to look at some of the most broken and bound people in our community and recognize there is a strength in them that God is after. There are gifts in them. There's creative capacity in them. There's an imprint, a creative imprint of God in them. And though they may not know it yet and may not yet have found purity in Christ, nevertheless, God is not deterred by the fractured state of their situation. God is after the beauty that he has buried within their soul. And the church has to be relentless about this. Not consumed with legalism and who qualifies and who doesn't. And who's spiritual enough to be allowed on a platform to play an instrument. You go into some places you can't even greet at the door till you've been faithful for five years. That is ridiculous. Jesus called disciples to himself and then said, now go, heal the sick, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils. I mean, we have created an entire system of qualification in our modern Christian culture that is absolutely unbiblical. It is not acceptable. There are Jephthahs out there that are bedraggled and look nothing like us, but God wants to put them to work. God wants to use them for His glory. Oh, well, they're, you know, they're still unpolished. So are you. So am I. I've never been polished. I've lived my entire life in constant amazement that God uses somebody so unpolished. I understand the only way I have courage to get up is I understand that it's the righteousness of God in me through Jesus Christ, and that gives me courage and confidence, and the Holy Spirit is there to say, you can when my flesh says I can, but I thank God that He uses unpolished people and broken people, and He recognizes there's a strength, there's a gem in the rough, and he's determined to mine it. People, the next generation, far-off people, they don't want to be used. They don't want to be trophies. They want meaningful family. They invite him, as we read in the Scripture, they said to Jephthah, 
Come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. And Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, um, I thought you hated me. You kicked me out of my father's house. Why are you coming to me now when you're in trouble? And the elders of Gilead said, well, that's why we're coming to you, because we're in trouble and you're tougher than we are, and we want you to fight against the people of Ammon. And, you know, the, we want you to be our leader. And Jephthah wasn't buying it because he wasn't looking for a job. He was looking for what everybody is looking for, which is a family that loved him and embraced him for who he was and in spite of what he had done. A lot of people don't darken the doors of a church today because they learned years ago at churches where they'd been burned that they would not be embraced in spite of what they had done, that they would not be given a fourth or a fifth or a tenth or a ten thousandth chance. Let me tell you, God's mercies are new every morning. You know, we all have our limits, like, okay, you three strikes, you're out. There, there's no number of strikes where you're out with God. His mercies are new every morning, but we get fed up, we get frustrated, we start creating rules that God never created, and we have this whole hierarchy in the church world, and God says, enough, because there's a generation of your sons and daughters that are far off, and I gave you the promise not for you to revel yourself in the promise, but that you might extend it beyond yourself, and I want those who are far off drawn close to me. Jephthah said to the elders, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, will I be your head? In other words, is this, is this a legit offer? Because really, I, I don't want to be used. I, I mean, if I'm going to be part of the family, I want to be part of the family. You really, you really believe that there's something in me of value? Because you had no use for me before, and the most broken and confused and conflicted people out there need to know that when they walk into a place like this, we see them through the eyes of Jesus, and we immediately assign value. Not just there's a human being that needs to be loved, but there's a gifted human being. There's somebody who's going to contribute to the kingdom of God. There's somebody who we're going to pour ourselves into and find the gold that's buried deep within and give them a context where they'll feel safe and be able even as they're going through their struggle and even as they're processing out of their weakness and even as they're stumbling along in their journey that we're still going to believe that they can become what God created them to be. Jephthah was longing for significance. We need to be able to offer that to the world. He went aside after they assured him. They said, oh, yeah, def definitely. Uh, may, we swear to God. That's what they said. They said, the Lord will be a witness between us. Swear to God that if we don't do according to your words, we'll, uh, we'll be in trouble with him. So they appointed him commander, and the Bible says, and Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord. The Jephthah generation out there, they speak their own language. You know, I, I, when I read this, every time I've read it and thought about it, I always have this picture of Jephthah saying, okay, I need some time alone with God because I need to talk to him in my own way. 
And, uh, you know, I don't need you who have been in the Father's house all along microscopically analyzing my language or my prayer to see if I prayed it right. Because we so often do that. I'm not, I'm not really sure he's saved because he didn't say these four words. I'll never forget when I was 14 years old and I wanted to become a member of the church I was attending. I had a great youth group and, and I, I used to go to this church. My parents didn't often go there, but I went to this church and, and uh, loved it. And then they had membership and I wanted to become a member. And uh, the pastor, I went in to have a meeting with him because, you know, you become a member, you got to have a meeting, even though you're 14 years old and you got to be interrogated to see if you make the grade. And I went in and the pastor said, now, have you been baptized? And I said, absolutely. I was baptized when I was 10 years old at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church in California. I I've been baptized, pastor. And he said, by triune immersion. I said, what's that? I was 14. I how am I supposed to know what triune immersion is? He says, well, you were dipped three times, right? I said, I was only dipped once. He says, well, you can't be a member if you were only dipped once. Man, that was my introduction to the world of stupid church politics. 14, and I've been living the last 46 years in the same world of stupid church politics. We come up with stupid rules. They have nothing to do with the Bible. He said, oh, you know, you, you, you gotta, it's got to be three times. I said, what do you mean three times? He says, once for the Father, once for the Son, and once for the Holy Ghost. I said, well, I covered all three in one. He's like, no, it don't work like that in our denomination. And he said, I'm sorry, you can't be a member unless you, he says, I'll, I'll baptize you correctly. And I was 14, but, you know, I guess uh, I had the same DNA that I have now. I said, well, I need to go pray about that. I went and prayed about it, and Jesus said, you are not getting rebaptized just to satisfy their dead religion. I mean, I prayed about it, and God said, no, you ain't doing it. No church membership is worth that much. Can you imagine 14? I went back. I said, well, I prayed about it. I ain't doing it. I said, it's not in the Bible. And he said, I know, but I can't do anything about it. The rules are the rules. And I say, sometimes we got to say, to hell with the rules. I even said that just to break the rules. I mean, let the rules of man go to hell. Because Jesus said to the Pharisees, you put burdens on men's backs and make them twice the sons of hell that you are. You load your own laws on men's backs and they're not enabled to enjoy life of freedom and joy on this earth and their life becomes a living hell right in the church. And I'm telling you, the Jephthah generation ain't having it. They're coming in their own way. They've got their own language. And sometimes we got to get out of the way with our old school thinking. And we've got, and I'm not talking about issues of morality. I'm not talking about issues of doctrinal fidelity. I'm a, I'm a believer in sound doctrine, but I'm talking about man-made rules that nobody can remember when we made them up, but we've always done it that way. And the Jephthah generation is steamrolling over that right now. 
and the churches that will not receive what the Holy Spirit is doing are folding and sitting back and talking about how no young people today want to hear the Word of God. Let me tell you something. We run with thousands of young people all over the world that are hungry for the Word of God. They just have a different language. Man, when you get a guy like this on board, they, they're sold out. They're not like, you know, two Sundays out of four, depending on the temperature when I wake up. They're sold out. I tell you, when, when the king of Ammon, I mean, Jephthah, like he jumped right on in it, and he sent a message to the king of Ammon, and he said, what do you have against me that you've come to fight against me in my land? And this is a guy who didn't give a rip like a week before or a day before. He didn't care about his land, his people, his father's house. But now he's been welcomed into the family just as he is. Nobody microanalyzing his prayer or microanalyzing whether or not he talked too long between songs or all the stupid stuff we do. They just let Jephthah be Jephthah. And I'm telling you, he owned it. And when you allow these people to come in, this far-off generation, and just to deal with, be whatever they are and deal with whatever they're dealing with, I'll tell you, they are so excited to actually be in a place where they belong. They will get radical. They are all in. You give opportunity, and it leads to ownership. So why are you messing with me? Well, nobody's messing with you, Jephthah. Well, you're messing with my people. Now you're messing with me. Now you're messing with me because I belong. I'm all in. I'm sold out to the Father's house, to the Father's family. You know, I have been in this business a long time, and I figured out a long time ago that I can wear myself out trying to get my generation to come alive and to wake up. I'm at a place where I'm like, listen, if you've been born again 50 years already and you haven't budged, I'm not going to expend my energy trying to budge you from your unbudgeable state. I'm going to pour my life into the young people that are like, just give me a chance. I'll be there. I'm ready. I'm ready to do something for God. I don't want to have another theological conversation with a deadhead who wants to argue with me about whether or not God still does miracles. we got a mile-long line of young people that I don't have to twist their arm. They're walking in the miraculous. They just need a mother or father to come along beside them and in their whatever condition they're in, say, go, get them. God is with you. This is what we need to do. Give them opportunity. They'll take ownership. And then a spirit of faith. God is speaking this morning. And a spirit of faith rises up. He starts lecturing the king of Ammon telling him how it's going to be. Telling him how it's going to be. He sends a messenger to the king of Ammon and to 
encapsulate his message. He basically says, I, I just, I'm just letting you know in advance that my side's not going to lose. We're going to win. I'm giving you fair notice, King of Ammon, that my side, my tribe, we're going to win. He said, for hundreds of years, you've tried to change the facts on the ground. You can read the lengthy story yourself. But he basically says, for centuries, you've tried to change the facts on the ground, but the facts on the ground were established by God. You're not moving the people of God. The people of God are going to win. He says, you know what you can have is whatever the devil gives you. He says that. He says, won't you, in verse 24, possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you to possess? You can have whatever the devil gives you, but you need to understand, whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. Whatever God says is going to happen, is going to happen. Whatever God decrees will be released, will be released. Whatever God says we can do, we can do. Whatever God says we can have, we can have. He says, you're no better than the kings before you that tried to stand up against the people of Israel. No one has ever successfully conquered the people of God. He says, we are unstoppable. And we're immovable. And that's the spirit of faith that is exploding out of the Jephthahs, our sons, and those that are far off right now in the earth today. They are in it to win it. They're not, they don't join. They're not going to hitch their wagon to some train that's just hunkered down waiting for the apocalypse. They're going to join this thing because they're going to find a people that believe we are in this to win this because God has already won this and God is moving mightily in the earth today. And in case you did not know it, the greatest revival in the history of the world has begun rippling across the nations. The greatest harvest in the history of the world is right now. And yet there are millions of Christians that aren't doing a blessed thing but hunkering down and waiting to get out of here. And I want to clarify something to you. I am excited about Jesus. Jesus coming back. I have thought about the return of the Lord since I was five years old. As Paul says, I eagerly wait for the day of his appearing. But for me, it's not an escape hatch. It's a culmination of a love relationship that I've walked with him for 55 years. I want to look into his eyes and say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Not thank you for getting me out of that hell hole called earth that we all know you gave up on long ago. No, that is not the heart of God. He's not an escape artist. He's a resurrection artist. He's redeeming nations and generations right now. God is in it to win it. God is in this thing. To win this thing. So yes, look for his coming. 
but don't run with the people that are just spending all their energy getting ready for the other shoe to drop. Spend your time with people that invest their energy with people who are getting ready for the next miracle of God. When my wife and I get up in the morning, we don't look at one another and say, I wonder if this is the day Tampa gets nuked. I wonder if this is the day it's all over. We look at one another and we say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I wonder what great thing God will do today. When we pray, we don't just pray and pray and pray over our problems, even though we do address those things, but we pray together and declare, God, you are good. God, you are moving. God, we were born for such a time as this. God, our generation has a purpose to reach the Jephthah generation and bring them into the fullness of the promise. How will they be in it to win it if we're not? But we are, and so are you. There's still one thing he lacked. He needed a foretaste of the promise that Peter preached about, and he got it. The Old Testament is a series of foretastes, shadows of the permanent big kahuna that was coming. And he got it. He made his declaration. Ammon wrote back and said, I ain't afraid of you. And God said, that's because Ammon, you don't know what I'm about to do next. When the devil says to you, I'm not afraid of you, he's hoping that you will not be aware of what God is about to do next in your life. You need to stay focused on what God is about to do next in your life and in your church, not on what the devil says he's going to do. Because the Ammonite king was not impressed and said, I'm coming anyway. And God said, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to pour my spirit out on Jephthah, and he is going to whip your butt all the way back to from whence you came. And we've got to understand that we serve the same God with the same passion who's looking for a people that believe in the promise and will pray for the out pouring of that promise on their life that will know that when God's Spirit moves upon you, you are unstoppable. The promise is for you, your children, and those who are far off. And we don't need an asterisk under that or an addendum that says, now in case the Holy Ghost doesn't work, here's plan B. Ain't no plan B, Pastor Chris. The only plan is the power of God. No plan B. No human wisdom that we're going to fabricate that will make the church succeed somehow whether or not God moves or not. God moves or we're all dead. And God is moving. That's why we're all alive. God is moving. We're not waiting for a move of God. We're right in the middle of a move of God. And we're in the middle of a move of God this morning. Our nation, by the way, is in the middle of, the, of a move of God. You've got to understand that, get gripped by that, and run with that. No addendum. Jephthah, being very human, he thought he'd get some insurance made a foolish vow, just so you understand how the story ends, those of you that know it. Made a foolish vow that he would make a foolish sacrifice. I believe it was just an insurance policy. In case this Holy Ghost thing don't work, you know, I'll, I'll make a promise to God. 
that'll, that'll guarantee that I'm safe. There's no plan B. God doesn't need our empty promises and our foolish vows. That foolish vow, that momentary attempt to buy himself some, some human insurance through human wisdom, it cost him dearly. It has cost the church of Jesus Christ dearly for decades and centuries when we've tried to do it without the power of God. But the promise is here. The promise is now. Worship team, come up to the platform. Everyone stand on your feet with me. I want to pray for you before we have a closing song. And I just want to make a declaration over anybody that has a heart for Jephthah or anybody who feels like a Jephthah that is here this morning. And I I think we might have time for the prayer ministry team. I'm going to let Pastor Chris decide that. In case somebody is here and this message spoke to you and you really feel like you need a touch from God. But everybody join me in prayer right now as we get ready to worship. In the mighty name of Jesus, oh God, I pray that our heart would be joined to your heart. Lord, your heart is beating furiously for the Jephthah generation. Lord, your heart is looking down on a corrupted Western culture. And Lord, you are you, you would be the first to say that you are weary of hearing your people talk about what the devil is doing and not talking enough about what you are doing. But God, this morning, we declare what you are doing. You are God Almighty, and you are moving in the earth in this hour. You are breathing out even on this nation, and you are breathing out on a a generation that is genetically confused, that has been spiritually distorted, that has been lied to, that has been told they are not what they thought they were. But I thank you that you created them in the image of God, and in this hour, you are reaching down to them and you are delivering them and a multitude are going to come out from this veil and be brought into the Father's house. Right now, I speak over every Jephthah in this room. The Father is calling you. Jephthah's dad could only look at him and be continuously reminded of his own sin with Jephthah's mother. But the father's calling you. And in his eyes, you don't wear that label. He's taking it away. He's offering you redemption through the blood of his son. He's offering you freedom and liberty. He's saying, come into my house. You're an honored guest here. You're a family member here. You're a vital part of our future. Come into this house and find your home. So I decree freedom, healing, honor, honor those that have held their heads in shame I prophesy honor over you hold your head up I declare honor over you honor over you you're a child of God let's worship thank you for listening for more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.